welcome to a brand new edition of the Popcorn Reel Podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn. On this edition, we'll be looking at the 10 best films of 2022 as we close out this year my list of the 10 films that I thought were the very best films that were released in this film year. That's the focus on this brand new edition of the Popcorn Reel Podcast. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel Podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn. Welcome to the 10 best films of 2022, according to yours truly. Keep in mind that some of the clips that you will be hearing throughout this episode will be in different languages from English. What if the men who are in prison are not guilty? Mother. I'll try again. Are you asking if they're... shush. We caught one of them. I saw him, but only one. Yes, only one, but he named the others. But what if he was lying? We must consider this. No, no, that is not our responsibility because we aren't in charge of whether or not they are punished. We know that we've been attacked by men, not by ghosts or Satan, as we were led to believe for so long. We know that we've not imagined these attacks, that we were made unconscious with cow tranquilizer. We know that we are bruised and infected and pregnant and terrified and insane and some of us are dead. We know that we must protect our children regardless of who is guilty. That was a clip from the number 10 film on my 10 best films of 2022 list, Women Talking, directed by Sarah Polly. Welcome back to this edition of the Popcorn Reel podcast, looking at my list of the 10 best films of 2022. Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn here, counting down the 10 best films on my list for 2022. Women Talking is a film directed by Sarah Polly, as I mentioned, and it features a number of women in 2010 who are situated in a religious community and they have a dilemma to face between their faith and the harsh realities of violent men. This film is an inspiring, powerful movie and it is a film that Sarah Polly, I think, directs with a sense of real urgency and contemplation at the same time. This film is based on the play by Miriam Taze and Sarah Polly, who directs it, I think, really wonderfully, does a really good job in the adaptation as well of that play. The film feels very much in the present and certainly could apply to any period of time in human history as women are fighting back against oppression or at least are weighing the choices of the costs of doing so. And it's that kind of deliberation that we see throughout Women Talking that makes the film 
very much a thought-provoking and important piece of work. The acting in the film is fantastic. A fantastic cast, Rooney Mara and Jesse Buckley, Judith Ivey, and numerous others, including Francis McDormand as well. I thought that this film was one of the most evocative films of the year, and it presented a very urgent question, not just for these women in the film to face, but for all of us to face, which is what do we do in these kinds of situations and what will we ultimately do to fight back against oppressive forces? What will we do? Will we stand up? Will we run away? And what are the costs of doing one or the other? That's the kind of thing that I was left thinking once I watched Women Talking. And it's a film that I would love to see again. It's one of those kinds of films that is right there on the surface with you and then goes deeper and deeper as you watch. It is a lovely, important, layered piece of work. And the artistry of this film is absolutely marvelous. Congratulations to Sarah Polly, who directed this and to all the people involved, cast and crew. The film was released by Orion Pictures here in the United States, and it's number 10 on my 10 best list. Here's a clip from the number nine film on my 10 best films of 2022 list. Sammy, we're going to use daddy's camera to film it. Only crash the train once, okay? Then after we get the film developed, you can watch it crash over and over till it's not so scary anymore. And your real train won't ever get broken. One more thing, Dolly. Let's not tell your father. It'll be our secret movie, just yours and mine. Okay? Okay. That was a clip from The Fablemans, directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's Steven Spielberg's best film in many years. This autobiographical drama on Steven Spielberg's life growing up in Arizona and California in a rather dysfunctional family. All the while, young Steven trying to find out his passion and explore it more. That, of course, would be filmmaking and being a director. And I love the way that The Fablemans absolutely explored this family and explored how Steven Spielberg became a director. It was just a very revealing and very sobering and very moving and rather at times powerful look at this family that Steven Spielberg grew up in. The acting in the film is wonderful. I thought that Michelle Williams was an especial standout as the mother of this uh, family, the matriarch. And I thought Paul Dano was superb as well. I didn't realize that Paul Dano was playing the role of Stephen's father in The Fablemans until after the film, when the credits came up and you could see that Paul Dano was playing the, the role. I had no idea. Paul Dano was that good. And I did not know it was him. And when you have an acting performance like that, where you don't realize who the actor is, that's a good thing because you really shouldn't be able to tell that the actor is playing that role. And so I think that's what makes acting, a really good acting, so significant and noteworthy, particularly when you're talking about American actors doing this because Paul Dano and Dano has been acting for a number of years and he tends to disappear in roles, which is actually a good thing. 
And I would like to see a whole lot more actors do. There are lots of actors who do it, but then there are some who you watch on the big screen and you see clearly, okay, that's this particular actor in, you know, fill in the blank here playing this role. And you can tell, and worse than that, you can tell that it is them. And you should never be able to be identifying with a film role thinking, okay, that's someone playing someone rather than you should be really thinking, you really should be thinking, okay, this is a really good job that this particular actor is doing. And I definitely felt that way about Michelle Williams. I certainly felt that way about Gabriel LaBelle. He plays Steven Spielberg in this film and he does a fabulous job right throughout this two and a half hour film. A coming of age drama about movies and passion and about a family that evolves or perhaps maybe doesn't evolve in the times that they are living in. And of course, there are some important other issues in this film that Steven Spielberg, I think, tackles pretty darn well. Anti-Semitism and how it pervades this country and continues to be a very dangerous thing that we must all stand up and fight against. And I thought that Steven Spielberg presented that in his film as it affected him when he was growing up in Arizona and California, particularly in California, I thought very well indeed. So this film, wonderfully lensed by Janusz Kaminski, the longtime cine cinematographer and collaborator of Spielberg, and of course, John Williams, another longtime Spielberg collaborator with his fantastic score here. And I thought this film was very good indeed. The Fablemans is the number nine film on my 10 best films of 2022. I didn't hear those to be a session. Last minute tea. Column decided. All the ladies love column, you know. Always did. Yeah. That's not true. You're still bad, Dominic. Out. He said bad until April. Well, what do we know? April. Well, put that stick outside anyways, and don't be bothering the women. There's women. There is women. And good ones. The Banshees of Inisherin is the number eight film on my 10 best films of 2022 list. And it stars Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson as two lifelong friends who all of a sudden don't speak to each other anymore. At least one of them is telling the other, please do not speak to me. That is how the film starts. And then it does unfold. And you have to watch Martin McDonough's film, to absorb what you are watching. It is a comedy of sorts gone really wrong. But I think that's a deliberate thing. And I also think that there's a love story in here as well. I think at least two love stories going on in this movie and some serious issues that I think need to be explored. I think it's Martin McDonough's way of trying to get people to talk about issues that you see in this film because we don't talk about the issues, some of the issues at least, openly enough some of the issues featured in this film. And Martin McDonough, in his own trademark, honest way, gets us, hopefully, to talk about that. It's a film that keeps you engaged. It's a film that surprises and shocks you. It's also a film that actually is heartwarming in moments as well. The performances of Colin 
Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson are wonderfully, wonderfully rendered. And there is fine work as well from Barry Keegan and Kerry Condon. And the cast at large. I enjoyed the cinematography by Ben Davis and the production design by Mark Tildesley and Michael Standish. Carter Burwell's score is absolutely perfect for this film. And I think that Martin McDonough has made his best film here with the Banshees of Inisherin. He wrote and directed, and he absolutely captures this canvas of life in this very small town in Ireland, where everyone knows everyone. And everyone knows exactly what everyone is probably doing at any given moment. I enjoyed this film a lot. And it is a film that, again, does have some stunning and shocking moments in it. But it is a film worth watching. And I enjoyed, tremendously enjoyed, The Banshees of Inisherin. It's by far Martin McDonough's best film. When I return on this brand new edition of the Popcorn Reel podcast, more from my list of the 10 best films of 2022. Por momentos creo que lo que pasa es que estás cagado en las patas. Por supuesto que estoy cagado en las patas. Por supuesto. ¿De qué tenés miedo, Julio? De todo, Silvia. De todo. De, 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 de que todo esto es una trampa, que me estén usando para algún tipo de negociación. De que les pase algo a ustedes. ¿Y de no poder hacer nada? ¿Otra vez? Vas a poder, Julio. Vas a poder. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel podcast and yours truly, Omar Moore, the Prince of Popcorn, talking about my list of the 10 best films of 2022. And the clip you just heard came from the number seven film on my list, Argentina 1985, directed by Santiago Mitre. The film is based on actual trials of dictators and brutalizers in Argentina, this riveting film is a trial and a procedural that is fraught with politics, tensions, and a lot of suspense. And a nation on a tinderbox edge, if you will. A nation that was roiled by the atrocities and inhumanity of the Argentinian junta. And a nation which was gripped in the 1980s by these trials of dictators, military men who had killed and had been in charge of the slaughters and the administering the slaughters 
of so many thousands of people in Argentina. This film, I thought, does so much and really effectively so in combining what feels like docudrama, what feels like a documentary specifically. Good acting, good screenwriting, and a very layered sense of atmosphere and interaction between people who are fraught in the politics of the moment and the drama of the moment in Argentina in the year 1985. This film percolates with intrigue, a country that is torn apart by politics, torn apart by these trials, and torn apart by where they stand on them and on the atrocities in terms of supporting a military and supporting the people. Yes, there are people on actual dividing lines of that. And I think that the directing by Santiago Mitre is fantastic. And he does a very good job of capturing where the complexities are for some people in this narrative that he writes along with Mariano Linas. A fantastic and crackling screenplay that they put together that is the engine of this film. Ricardo Doreen plays the chief prosecutor in this particular moment in Argentina in 1985. And Peter Lanzani plays his very green assistant prosecutor, his deputy prosecutor in this political and legal drama. Argentina 1985 captures all the different perspectives and does so in two hours and 20 minutes and does so in a very tidy way, which again is a tribute to the script that Mitre and Mariano Linas right together. Acting across the board is terrific and I love the way that this film is shot as well. So I think Argentina 1985 is well worth your time. Make sure you go and see this movie and it's likely to be on the list of nominees coming up in January 2023 for the best international film. It certainly deserves a place in that final five. And now here's a clip from the number six film on my list of the 10 best films of 2022. You like the guns? You enjoy practicing with the men in the infantry? I see you flirting. This is not allowed? You know it is not. Why not? The men who are soldiers have wives and children, but the Agogia cannot. How is that fair? Were you this arrogant with your family? No wonder they gave you away. It is you who is arrogant. I am a general. I have earned it. You have earned nothing. I should put you out. Mm. I have watched soldiers die because they did not have discipline. Their easy life did not prepare them for... I did not have an easy life. There's an Agogia. I did not have an easy life. He's... I, I want to be here with the others. I want to fight for my king. Your tears mean nothing. To be a warrior, you must kill your tears.
And that was a clip from The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. It's a fantastic film, and it's the number six film on my list of the ten best films of 2022. The Woman King is based on true events and the epic film about the Agoji, an all-female fighting army in the African kingdom of Dahomey in the 19th and 18th centuries, is a lush epic. It's wonderful to look at and beautiful to experience. And Viola Davis and Tuso Embedu top-line this cast and both perform very well, as does the entire cast of the film, the best ensemble by far this year on the big screen. Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atim and John Boyega are part of that ensemble and all of them are brilliant in a film about a all-female warrior group called the Agoji who fight against a rival group of male warriors who are looking to preserve enslavement and deals with European colonizers in the kingdom of Dahomey. This film, The Woman King, is rich with tapestry and texture and features an almost all black female cast. And that's what I really loved about this film. You do not see this very often in an epic Hollywood budget production of an all, almost all black female cast. I really loved that about this film, but that's not the only thing I loved. I loved the way that Gina Prince-Bythewood covers all of the diverse black women that you can in their various shades and colors and sizes. All beautiful and all arresting and fantastic, as I say. It was a lovely and uplifting and inspiring experience and a moving experience to witness the woman king on the big screen and to feel its energy, to feel its passion and its love and its power and its spirit and its exhortation. Those things about this film made it an absolutely beautiful and wondrous cinematic experience on the big screen. And the direction by Gina Prince-Bythewood is her best ever. This film is her best. She crafts it with a lot of love and care and precision. Her acumen about capturing moments on the big screen, I think, is very, very sharp and keen. I enjoyed this film, and I enjoyed watching it more than once. The Woman King, for me, means a whole lot. It's an important film. It's a film that resonates throughout whether you watch it on the big screen or on the small but it's that big screen experience that you really would love for a for a film like this it is a film that is punctuated by superb cinematography from polly morgan and the wondrous score the best music score of the year i would say basically from terence blanchard Beautiful music. You need to listen to the score for that film, The Woman King. You really, really do. Terence Blanchard puts together, I think, one of his very best scores. And I think one of the best, I think it really is the best music score of the year in a feature film. The Woman King is a film that you cannot forget. And it won't allow you to forget it, particularly the performance of Tuso Embedu, who I think should be getting an Oscar for this. A supporting role for her, but a critical one to the film. Some may say that the film shows her as a co-lead with Viola Davis, but I would dispute that strenuously. I think that Tusa Embedu 
is richly deserving of all the accolades she can possibly receive this award season, be they from the Black Reel Film Awards or the Oscars or the Screen Actors Guild or from the NAACP Image Awards and any other major awards body in the film. Tuso Mbedu is fantastic in this film and you must watch her performance and all of the other performers, Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atim, John Boyega and Viola Davis, who will almost certainly be nominated for the Oscar for this role. I look forward to watching this film again. And Viola Davis plays Nanuchka, who is fantastic and valiant. It's a role that I've never seen Viola Davis in before. And in fact, I've not seen a film quite like this before, at least from a Hollywood scenario. Films like this would not have been made in Hollywood years ago. And now it's a tribute to the hard work of people like Gina Prince Bythewood, Viola Davis, and everyone involved in this film, that we get to see a film like this at all. So I am pleased and proud to have The Woman King at number six on my list of 10 best films of 2022. The number five film on my 10 best films of 2022 list is the film One Fine Morning, Un Beau Matin, and it's directed by Mia Hansen-Love, and here is a clip from the film. Sandra Kinsler? Oui? Vous êtes la fille de Georg Kinsler? Oui, c'est moi. Il m'avait dit que vous étiez traductrice, j'étais une de ses élèves. Ah, d'accord. Ouais, c'est un prof génial, ça m'arrive encore de relire cette pour Bah, je dirais, ça lui fera plaisir. Est-ce que vous voulez bien me donner son mail J'aimerais bien lui écrire. Euh, oui Euh, je vais vous donner le mien parce qu'il a des difficultés pour lire. Euh, il vaut mieux que vous m'écriviez et je lui, je lui lirai. On y va bien Il a des problèmes de santé. Ah oui, j'espère que c'est pas trop grave. C'est une aide. Pardon, au revoir. Matan, One Fine Morning, directed by Mia Hansen-Love, is a film I really enjoyed. It is the most refreshingly adult feature film of the year that I saw, and I really enjoyed the performances as well. Léa Seydoux plays a Parisian single mother who has to grapple with several issues in her life, including the reemergence of a friend of hers from the distant past, or perhaps the not-so-distant past, and her father's neurodegenerative disease. Those things cross paths and her emotions are also a part of this film. The authenticity of the character that Sedu plays is, I thought, a wonderment to experience and behold. This is a film about adults making choices or not making choices. This is a film about people who get caught up in life and are at crossroads in their lives. I don't think that Mia Hansen-Love asks you to judge these characters. She only expresses them in a fine screenplay that minds nuance, love, fear, parenting, aging, rather, and does all those things so very well indeed. Now, 
There is a fairy tale aspect to parts of this film, but look, the vast majority of this film is no fairy tale whatsoever. It's quite serious and quite earnest, as films tend to be about real life affairs, because we can all relate to this in our lives. We've all gone through ups and downs and struggles, and sometimes there are these roller coaster feelings of emotions that come to us. This is a very absorbing work, and I found that the direction by Hanson Love was absolutely top-notch. This is a film that is in the French language with English subtitles, and it's a film that I would watch again tomorrow. I really did enjoy One Fine Morning and the performances all around as well. Lea Seydoux, I think, should be recognized as a nominee for her work in this film. We'll see if that happens. But I absolutely thought that One Fine Morning was literate, beautiful, and also quite aching. The countdown continues on this brand new edition of the Popcorn Reel podcast of my list of the 10 best films of 2022, right after this. Prince of Popcorn, counting down my list of the 10 best films of 2022. 2022, I thought, was a terrific year for film, and I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But here is a clip from the number four film on my 10 best films of 2022 list. Don't look at it. Help me! What the, 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 what the
A dream you're chasing. Where you end up at the top of the mountain. It's the one you never wake up from. You'll be getting a call from my supervisor asking how my service was. Five stars, Angel. Five stars. I said yes to Nope this year because Jordan Peele crafted a film that defies convention and description, really. I love the way that he traversed genres and pushed the boundaries of all of those in his cinematic rendering. And it was a truly phenomenal experience to experience Nope in IMAX. This was shot with IMAX cameras And that's really where it can be best enjoyed inside an IMAX theater. And I was glad to watch this film. I was glad that I spent the time and was rewarded with some very good acting, good cinematography and excellent production design. Now, the screenplay isn't as strong in my view as it could have been. I do think, though, overall that this film is one of the very best films of the year because of what it tries to do with the cinematic format, what it tries to do with the story of explaining these particular phenomena that happen, and the issues presented. American consumerism, celebrity and fame, the whole motif of the equine in this film, sci-fi, filmmaking itself, and the Western frontier, and black cowboys, all of these particular topics and items are expressed in this film. And Jordan Peele manages to make it work with his direction and the performances by Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Brandon Peyeria, and Stephen Yun are also the reason why this film, to me, is one of those you can't take your eyes off. From the very start of this film to the very end of it, you are transfixed. Keith David is also one of the performers in this film, as is Donna Mills. And I thought that Nope was a pleasant surprise, a genre-defying surprise, and an original work in many ways by Jordan Peele. I really love what he tries to do with film and what he tries to do with story and how he conveys a story in a very different way than what we're used to on the big screen. There is an an innovation about Jordan Peele's work that can't be denied, and the concepts that he uses and employs on the big screen are ones that galvanize thought and do get you thinking and talking about what you're seeing when you watch a film by Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele has become not only a confident director, but one of the very best directors that we have in cinema anywhere on the planet. And he's not afraid to go to places to get you to think and inspire conversation. And that, for, for me in film, is a very good and very necessary thing. Jordan Peele's Nope is my number four film of 2022. And I, perform, I really did love the performances and the score also by Michael Abels. And this, for me, is Jordan Peele's best and most original film so far. Here is a clip from the number three film on my list of the 10 best films of 2022. Monsieur Huissier, faites entrer l'accusé. 
Messieurs, vous pouvez désentraver l'accusé. Veuillez indiquer à la cour vos noms et prénoms, votre date et votre lieu de naissance, ainsi que les noms et prénoms de vos parents. Je m'appelle Laurence Colli. Je suis née le 15 mars 1980 à Dakar, au Sénégal. Mon père s'appelle Robert Colli. Ma mère, Odile Diata. Quelle est votre profession Étudiante. Saint-Omer is the number three film on my list and it's the name of the courthouse in France where a woman is on trial in a murder case. She admits to killing her 15-month-old baby girl and that is where the courthouse trial is, Saint-Omer. And Guslagi Malanga is unforgettable in this film as the woman who is on trial, Laurence, for the admitted killing it's the process of this film the investigatory steps in the courthouse in the courtroom that are at the heart of this film the psychological and emotional tumult and the dueling narratives of the characters testifying in this film are really what makes this film go and we are getting to look at someone that we judge a certain way at the beginning and perhaps by the end see very differently And we see this unfold very organically. And Anna Diop's courtroom drama is fantastic and brilliant. I know I've used the word fantastic a lot during this episode, but I am enraptured and was enraptured by her direction of this film. And I thought, wow. You don't see films made like this anymore. At least the way this film begins to proceed and continues on. It's a film that also is about a woman who is sent to cover this trial and what happens to her as she experiences this trial in her own personal life. The character in that, or that actor, I should say, playing the role there in this film is Kaiji, Kaija Kagame, I'm sorry, Kaija Kagame, plays a journalist and she goes through all of these things herself. This film is an invitation to empathy. It's an invitation to feeling. It's an invitation to explaining and trying to understand. And like the other French film that I talked about on this list, One Fine Morning, Saint-Omer encourages us to wrestle with the aching ups and downs of adult life and to ask ourselves, who are we to judge? I found this film to be fascinating in all turns. And I thought that the direction by Anna Diop was top-notch, brilliant stuff. She also wrote the screenplay for this one as well. And it's a screenplay that I certainly would like to read. The performances, as I've said, are terrific. And this courtroom drama goes beyond the courtroom and stays in our hearts. It certainly stayed in mine and resonated there For a number of days afterwards, Saint-Omer is my film. It's the third film, I should say, on my 10 best list. It's at number three, once again. Saint-Omer, directed by Anna Diop. Accès à ton constat. 
آیمندس این اشته ما رو ریخته به هم این مازره همه ما رو پلت کرده باختی بودا بگید دنی میشی ماهانه دالیز جزمه دیگه داره دیگه آقا حق بدین یه کارگردان ممنون خروش اومده بستش از لب مرز هر لحظه ممکنی یکی ببینه آنتن باشه بره لو بده خب حالا دقیقا مرز کجاست؟ دقیقا رو مرز هست شما دیشب رفتیم ساده مرزی ما اینجا محلی هستیم نمیریم اونجا میترسیم بریم اونجا راه هم نیست خیش از تو خطر داره گام تو شرسن در روز باقر اردولالله سوزن پرادالای خیلی کم دخیم که نظر دهه کنده کل شغلانه ازادیم نیه لقصانه ایدی از ارساتی بابا خیشی وجود نداره اینا به ما یاد داده اینجا خیش هست That was a clip from the number two film on my list of the 10 best films of 2022, No Bears, directed by Jafar Panahi. The filmmaker is currently behind bars in his native Iran. He was arrested this summer, and for many years, Jafar Panahi had been filming clandestinely in his native land of Iran, bringing films to the world. His discreet filmmaking style and storytelling have won the plaudits of a great many people across the world. And I am very impressed with his latest film. Javar Panani plays himself throughout his movies, and I really like this one in particular, No Bears. Set in his homeland, he... Playing himself, traverses across the land and has to deal with some very interesting situations. A pair of dueling and uh, comparative, or I should say parallel love stories, and a situation that he himself finds himself in the center of. The film No Bears deals with customs and traditions, accusations, love, and freedom. And what all of those things mean in Iran in 2022 or 2023. Especially now when you consider what's going on in Iran with the attack on women and the uprising of women to form a strong movement against toxic masculinity and discrimination against women. No Bears comes along at a time in which there is certainly a lot to look at when you're dealing with a country like Iran. The hardliners in the country certainly do provide the filmmaker a robust challenge. He is really effectively banned from filming anything about Iran and taking it to the outside world, among other things. And so throughout his filmmaking career, the director has had to really walk a tightrope. And watching No Bears, it feels like you yourself as a viewer are walking on a tightrope, wondering when the next wobble will happen and perhaps waiting for the shoe to drop and for someone to lose their bearings. And there's so many times in this film that a character or two seem to lose their bearings, only to be guided back on track, and then only again to be led astray. There's a mystery about this film, but yet it's such a cool, calm, methodical exercise that it becomes very, very real indeed. And the thing about Jafar Panahi's filming and his films in general is they all feel like documentaries. They feel very much intimate, 
focused and very much lifelike because they actually are. They feel that way. And so when this construction of images is going on and this story is being constructed before you, you see the director actually doing so with great trepidation and fear, even as he's playing himself in the film, as he does customarily throughout his movies. No Bears is a marvel of a film, and it is one of the very best films of the year. And the way that the filmmaker uses his camera and uses other characters as fine reveals and powerful reveals at times is something that won my admiration and affection for both Jafar Panahi and for No Bears. Jafar Panahi has done a number of films, including This Is Not A Film and numerous others. And he has to be so discreet about how he films and how he advertises things. And everything is so economical. No filmmaker in the world these days, it seems, does more with less than Jafar Panahi. Coming up after the break, the best film of 2022. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn, counting down my list of the 10 best films of 2022. In a few moments' time, I will reveal the best film of 2022. But first, a recap of the films I have already spoken about. At number 10, Women Talking, directed by Sarah Polly. At number 9, The film The Fablemans, directed by Steven Spielberg. At number eight, The Banshees of Inisherin, directed by Martin McDonough. At number seven, Argentina 1985, directed by Santiago Mitre. At number six, The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood. At number five, One Fine Morning, A Bo Mata, directed by Mia Hansen Love. At number four, Nope directed by Jordan Peele. At number three, Saint-Omer, directed by Anna Diop. At number two, No Bears, directed by Jafar Panahi. And now, on my list, the best film of 2022 is this film. Time is the thing. Uh Time is is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. Now, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right. time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. Tar was by far the best film of 2022. This was a very easy choice for me. Todd Field, directing his first film in 16 years, has put together an absolute masterstroke of filmmaking. And Kate Blanchett, 
is excellent as the title character Lydia Tarr, who is the first female conductor at the Berlin Symphony Orchestra and a very powerful conductor at that. And it's that power that is one of the focuses of this film. The film asks questions about power and questions about how people enable power and how power corrupts. But that is the very least, I think, of what's going on in this film. Because the filmmaking is so good, there's so many different other elements to consider from the direction of Todd Field's work and how he did this film and constructed it so well to the screenplay that he wrote, to the cinematography that is so superb from Florian Hofmeister, his camera movement, which underlines differences in power angles and the spaces between characters and how he places them in the frame to tell the story, to the performances of everyone from Kate Blanchett to Nina Haas to characters who have much smaller roles, including a key role from Julian Glover. I love this film and every second of it to me was absolutely precious and sumptuous. I couldn't get enough. I've seen Tar now seven times in the movie theaters, seven different times. But that is not the only amount of times I've seen it. I've seen it a number of times as well on the small screen. I'm obsessed with this film. I have bought different formats of this film. That is how obsessed I am with Tar. Todd Field, take a bow. This is the very best film of the year he has done so well here. And Hilda Goodendotter's score is something that you barely hear, but it's so key to the whole mood and character of this film and the emotions of the characters involved. What you are asked to do in this film, I think, is listen. There is so much dissonance in this film, so much dissonance, so much tension, so many competing things going on, and you are asked to listen. I think that's what Todd Field does, and he doesn't condescend to you. He treats you, the audience, like adults. He does not condescend for a second. He does not patronize. He asks you to think. He challenges you, but not in any way to be mean or mean-spirited, but to really ask yourself to open your mind and give some thought to what you're seeing on the screen. Is Lydia Tarr a real person? Is this story in someone's imagination? Is someone else telling the story? What is going on in this film? And who are we watching? What is it that we are watching? Is there an optical illusion going on? Is this movie burnished in someone's subconscious? Is another character telling the story? Who is telling the story? I can't think of a performance that Kate Blanchett has given that is better than this one. And I love that screenplay that Todd Field wrote for this movie. It is the best. Music is part of the film but it is not the only part. How do we grapple with issues of process, power, love, lies, truth, illusion, listening, hearing, music? How do we grapple with all these things? And each of these things that we usually take for granted, especially if we are people who are fortunate enough to have all five of our senses, each of these things I've just talked about are amplified or de-emphasized in very clever ways by the director.
Nina Hoss is a key person in this film. She plays the longtime partner of Kate Blanchett's character. She also, Nina Hoss's character, is first violin in the Berlin Symphony Orchestra under the tutelage of Lydia Tarr. And there are all kinds of things that go on in that orchestra. And you have to ask yourself, why, who, what, how, and what are the consequences ultimately going to be? And to whom are they coming to? Even when you've seen this film and even when you've watched the ending of this film, you are left with endless questions about these and so many other things. And for that alone, Tar is absolute genius. Tar is the best film of 2022. So some facts now about my 10 best list of films for 2022. Facts that I think are worth sharing with you. On my list of 10 best films, four of the films were directed by women. Two of those directed by black women. Two of those directed by white women. One film on my 10 best list was directed by a black man. One film on my 10 best list was directed by a brown man. And four films on my 10 best list were directed by white men. Five films where a female character was the lead and the story was about them. And there were three films where a black character was the lead and the story was about them. And there was one film that had gay characters as the lead characters. That is my list of observations about my 10 best list of films for 2022. And there is one other. Eight of the films on my 10 best list are over two hours long. 2022 was a really good year for film. And I was very pleased at the kind of films that were making the landscape really matter in this 2022 year. The year that we slowly began to come back to a sense of where things were. Well, we're nowhere near that yet and the pandemic continues on. But the films, the movies helped us to recover in our small way. I definitely was thrilled by the amount of women who were directing this year. There were so many movies directed by women, and many of them were terrific films. But because this film year was so strong, there were lots of films, and you're looking for 10 to be your top 10. It's 10 films that really were very good this year, and I think many of which will stand the test of time. And now a correction. Earlier in this episode, I said that Anna Diop directed the film Saint-Omer. However, I was incorrect and I apologize. The correct name of the director of Saint-Omer is Alice Diop. My sincere apologies to the filmmaker and to you as well. That's it for this year, the first year of the Popcorn Reel podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple and numerous other podcasting platforms, including Stitcher. And 
You can subscribe to the YouTube channel for Popcorn Reel by going to youtube.com forward slash at sign popcorn R-E-E-L. There you will see numerous audio feature length commentaries that I've done for numerous movies, including most recently Tar, the best film of 2022. And you can follow me on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L. You can follow me on Fanbase at Popcorn R-E-E-L, also on Mastodon at Popcorn R-E-E-L, and on Post at post.news slash Popcorn R-E-E-L. It has been a good year for film this year, and as the year closes, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast in its first year in existence. We began this podcast on the very first day of 2022 and end this podcast this year on the very last day of 2022. A kind of symmetry as we go through this film year and it comes to a close on this very day. Join me please next year for more of the Popcorn Real Film Podcast. I hope you have a happy new year and all of your dreams come true at the movies and in real life. Happy new year to you and to your families. And may 2023 be even better on the big screen and in real life than 2022. Happy new year, everyone. And from me, Omar Moore, take care of yourselves. And I'll see you at the movies in 2023.